0: welcome to Bible Mysteries. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? You're listening to episode 142, Real Nightmares, interview with Vicki Joy Anderson. Now here are your hosts, Scott and John.
1: Hello, welcome once again to Bible Mysteries podcast. I'm Scott Mitchell.
2: I'm John Potts, and this is the show that talks about things in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know.
1: And boy, are we going to talk about something the world does not want you to know tonight. Wow. We are going to introduce our very special guest here in just a moment, but I want to uh, let you know that this episode is brought to you by our premium subscribers who joined us in December of last year, and that is James and Joyce M., and I know them, by the way, they're dear friends, Bill H., Ray and D N G, G., K., and Deborah B., Thank you all so much for subscribing. It's because of your support that this show is possible and that we can bring you such interesting topics and guests like my very special guest I'm going to introduce to you now. Vicki Joy, welcome to Bible Mysteries.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here.
1: Well, we are delighted to have you. Uh, For those of you that may not know, Vicki Joy Anderson is the author of They Only Come Out at Night. This is her book, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis. I'll have links for you to locate where you can purchase this book uh, on our show notes when we're done here. But Vicki attended the University of Northwestern in St. Paul, Minnesota. Are you from Minnesota?
0: I have am. You? I'm not there right now, but I was born and, and raised there, yes.
1: So original Minnesotan, right.
0: Yes. You betcha. Well, Vicki
1: received her Bachelor of Science degree in English with a writing emphasis and a major in Bible. And Vicky believes that dealing as she does with spiritual warfare and topics that are on the edges of fringe, it's very important that you know who you're receiving information from and what their belief system is. So on her website, which is vickyjoyanderson.com, she's listed her education and her ministry credentials, as well as her mission trips and other ministry uh, activities she's been involved in. So if you want to check that out, please do so. But Vicki believes she's called to address the sleep paralysis issues that plague so many believers and non-believers alike, shining light in the darkness, providing scriptural tools and weapons to help them break free from the dark ties that bind and leading the unsaved to Jesus. So we just once again want to thank you so much for giving us your time today, Vicki.
0: Absolutely.
1: Well, Vicki, I'll tell you, we we did a very uh, short episode or not that long ago, not not short, but shortly ago about sleep paralysis before I even knew about you and your book. So uh, after we did that, we got tons of feedback from people. Oh, I went through something like that too. I suspect you hear that all the time that people say, oh, that's so similar to what I've been through. Is that true?
0: It is true. Uh, I think that the online statistics depending where you're at, they'll they'll say 17 to 50% of the population has experienced sleep paralysis at least once in their lifetime. And I think that is an extremely low figure.
1: Oh, really? So it's more frequent than it's being reported.
0: I I think so. I think it's more frequent. It's just now sort of becoming in vogue to talk about all your paranormal experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, But prior to, to this generation, you talked about this kind of stuff and, you were ostracized, you were labeled, you were likely schizophrenic, you might be put into a psych ward, you would be heavily medicated. This was not the kind of thing people went around touting.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, we'll get to that question. But in your book, you sort of explain how there was somewhat of a divorce between science and medicine and spiritual thinking. And because of that, I think that led to this lack of understanding or lack of the ability to people to communicate this information. Absolutely. Well, we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. But what I always like to do, Vicky, when I have a guest on is uh at first start by having you share your testimony with us. We'd love to hear how you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Sure. Well, it's very anticlimactic. Some people have their very exciting, you know, Hollywood versions of what's happened to them. And I love hearing those stories because I, I love hearing uh all of the deep, deep wells that the long arm of Jesus can reach into. But Amen. My own story is pretty anticlimactic. I was raised in a Christian home. I actually don't have a memory of the day that I received Christ. My mom told me that I was at the kitchen table when we lived in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania as a kid, and that I, I prayed to receive Jesus when I was three years old. And I actually found a, a handwritten journal of hers after she passed away, and it was like a calendar. And on on a particular day in May— Nineteen seventy-five. I I think it was the twenty-six, but don't quote me on that. She actually said uh, Vicky prayed to receive Jesus, and so I have it like uh, the date was May of, of seventy-five. Uh, I didn't remember doing that. So in first grade, I went to a Christian school in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and um, I was a very literal child, and I, I still am very literal. And this person got up and gave a gospel presentation and basically you know this was the 70s so it was like if you have not prayed this prayer you're going to hell kind of oh, thing right and i yeah. was like oh no i never prayed that prayer I, I thought jesus was my friend so i had to cover my bases that day in first grade and i prayed the prayer and i was all excited and i ran home and i told my mom i invited jesus into my heart and my my mom the the stoic swede that she was was like well you already did that <laughs> so it was <laughs> but that was how i heard that about the original story but but I'm really glad for the time in first grade, I was probably seven years old because I vividly remember that. And I remember when I prayed being filled with joy, like I felt yeah. the presence of the Lord fill into me. And so that that's something that I have in my arsenal. It's it's a solid memory. And when the enemy likes to come in and cause us on on those doubts, I'm like, oh, oh no, he, he was there. He came to me. He spoke to me. He's been with me from... From day one, and of that, I have no doubt.
1: Amen. Well, we're going to get into some more of your story and how this all started when you were very young, too. But, you know, I, 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 I'm I, always fascinated by the the individuals that might think that children— uh, you can't be saved uh, when they're that young, you know. And uh, I always say there, there's no limitations with God. I mean, every child's different, obviously. And depending on what the experience, especially something like you've experienced, uh, I can see why a very young child would would seek the Lord and seek to know that, that peace. Uh, I remember desiring to know him as a young child, but did not grow up in a Christian home and didn't actually get mm-hmm. saved till I was 20. Oh. But I remember wanting to know him, you know, as a very young child. So I do believe in childhood salvation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, speaking of childhood, then uh, Vicki, you, uh, you started having sleep paralysis episodes at the age of three, I believe you said, mm-hmm. and these continued like two and three episodes a week, not just random once in a blue moon. Tell us why you believe these attacks started.
0: So I, I think that It's a multi-tentacled reason, even though it took me decades to unpack all of the reasons why I was a target. For years, I just thought I was having bad dreams. Now, because I was raised in a Christian home and I did go to Sunday school, even as a little kid, I had a basic understanding of there's this bad guy who doesn't like us, you know? Yeah. And, and so I had a concept of, of the devil, but obviously, you know, it was a very unsophisticated understanding, but I knew that these dreams were something more mm-hmm. and I would, cause I would explain it to my mom. I had another one of those dreams last night is the way I would say it to her, even as yeah. a little child. And I knew that it was something spiritual because these entities would speak to me, not audibly, but wherever I was, I was hearing the communication and they were saying, um, we hate you. You're going to, oh. you're going to die. You're going to burn in hell. Your parents won't hear you scream. Like they would taunt. Right. And so they didn't come, they didn't come right out and say, I'm a demon. But when anytime, you know, Something is saying, um, you know, we are going to drag you to hell. Even as a three-year-old, you understand from a Sunday school perspective that this is the bad guy, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, how how horrifying it would be, terrifying, I should say. It, Very, it, quick
0: yeah.
2: Question, so, especially with your experience with sleep paralysis, that sounds pretty terrible, right there. Yeah. And, but in your studies of it, it, is there different levels of it? Because I had always thought it that. And maybe you need to give us a, a, a real good definition of it, because I think a lot of people out there probably don't fully understand. I personally had just thought it was something where you couldn't get out of bed, almost like this feeling of like, I can't even lift my arms is how I've had it described to me. But you're talking about voices speaking to you. I mean, that's demonic oppression. That's yes. a whole different level right there.
0: Yeah. To- totally different level. So I'm going to kind of tackle a few of your questions at once. And hopefully, I won't um, babble too badly here. But uh, just a generic definition of sleep paralysis.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, technically, what we're talking about, and technically what I'm talking about in my book, would more uh, specifically be a sleep paralysis attack, or a sleep paralysis episode, because there's really nothing unusual in and of itself being in various paralytic states during our sleep. God designed us to to go numb at certain sleep states in deep sleep and deep theta states and in REM as a way of protecting us because Mm. if we're not sort of anchored to our bed, we will act out dreams, we will sleepwalk, we will wet the bed, we will potentially kick and thrash or we could run into a wall, we could fall downstairs, we could sleepwalk into traffic. And so there's nothing in and of itself demonic or spiritual about waking up too soon and and not being able to move and i've had many experiences as may you have too where you wake up and you're kind of in that groggy sort of anesthesia sort of feeling where you can't quite move but it feels it feels almost kind of good you're like it's a deep state of relaxation and what we're talking about is when demonic entities capitalize on that particular time They they capitalize on our physiology. They increase the terror of the scenario because they know we can't move and we're not necessarily fully awake and we can't scream or wake somebody up to come and help us. And so that sleep paralysis is, is a physiological state of not being able to move. But a sleep paralysis attack is when something is now occurring simultaneously with that paralysis. And there are, as John said, varying levels of this. Some people, there's nothing scary about it at all. They don't Mm -hmm. ever sense anything spiritual. They just kind of shake themselves awake and and it's all said and done. And we get into this a little bit later. And this is all outlined in the book. Uh, There is an intruder phase. There is an incubus phase. And then there's a vestibular motor phase. And that's super unnecessarily fancy speak for Uh, The intruder phase is kind of the basic level where people wake up. They recognize that they can't move. They're frightened. They sense some sort of presence in the room with them. Uh, They, they, they definitely sense that something is the, the, the spiritual weight and atmosphere of the room is different. And it's usually accompanied by levels of terror that go beyond a nightmare. Uh, the incubus phase is then where it, it's taken a little bit further, and there's more of an attack. There is a um, an actual entity in the room. They're holding you down. People can often visualize this thing, and they see different things. Usually, when you say incubus, people think specifically of the incubus and the succubus, which are specific to demons that assault people physically and sexually, but the incubus phase of sleep paralysis, it it can be any sort of attack. It can be, I feel like I'm being choked. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm being pulled off my bed, Uh, things like that. It doesn't necessarily have to culminate in, in a full out sexual attack, but of course they can. And then the vestibular motor phase is an actual out of body, to astral projection experience where now we're into the realms of like ufo abduction stories we are it's an actual abduction scenario you're being pulled out of your body many times people will look down they'll see themselves on the bed they know they're being separated uh people will talk about seeing their silver cord attaching them and (laughs) and This is where a lot of Christians get nervous because this is all new age and this is astral projection and this is spirit guides and ascended masters and the high places of Ephesians 6.12. But so I just want to make it clear to the listeners that this is an abduction scenario. And when Christians or or even non-Christians experience this, it's not always because they're asking for it or they've been studying and researching it and they want to go up into the astral. There's a lot of people out there that want to astral project but there's more people out there that this is happening to that want nothing to do with it. It's it's a forced uh, abduction into the astral realm. And that is kind of the third most aggressive uh, state of sleep paralysis. So is, is,
2: it, is it your belief that this can happen to both Christians and non-Christians? Because I had always assumed that as Christians, we had some kind of protection there, mostly from demonic possession. But I would hope that this wouldn't happen to a Christian.
0: Well... It it does, and this is where it gets so complicated. And this is where it gets hard for Christians to get any sort of counsel or help or freedom. Because when they typically in the past, anyway, have gone to a pastor, the assumption is you must not really be saved. Uh, let's go back, let's go back to the basics. Yeah. There you must have opened the door, and we can open doors. Believe me, we can be saved, but have yeah. an open door. I'm not disputing that. But it turns into what sort of secret sin are you hiding? Are you committing adultery? Do you have a pornography issue? And so the 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 victims are <clears throat> are setting themselves up for judgment. They 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 get the side eye from that point every time they walk into the church. Yeah. Um the the veracity of their faith is questioned. They're um they're put under the spotlight, so to speak. And so I I have many theories as to why this can happen to Christians and some of it gets a little bizarre and this is where you lose a lot of people in the audience. So I'll kind of start out with the, with the kid gloves. Um.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, we, we want to know, <clears throat> excuse me anything that you've discovered in your research in this because that is a that is a driving question for so many that why is this happening and how can we avoid it or prevent it you know those kind of things so go ahead and and speak up to what you just mentioned
0: yeah absolutely so it, it's hard to even know where to start so the the easy the lowest lying fruit is you can genuinely be a believer, but you could be a new believer or you could have a deep-seated uh, sin or bondage that you're still struggling with that you're not quite handing over to, to God yet or being honest about. You can have open doors. So there can it can be a sin issue. This is where it gets complicated. And this uh, also answers a bit of the question you asked at the beginning as to why was I a target as a child? Mm-hmm. There's There's many reasons, but here's another one of them. Uh, If you're a child and you're not out there playing with the Ouija board or listening to Iron Maiden or smoking pot, you know, you're not doing any of that stuff. Right. How is how is this little three year old kid getting attacked? Uh, What I try to tell parents and this is very unpopular now in the world, but biblically speaking, Uh, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he puts a hierarchy of authority on planet earth. And it exists in heaven as well among the angels. And that is not there for our suppression, but for our protection. And women and children have been given multiple layers of covering and protection so that we are not put into the same situation as Eve, where the enemy comes directly to us and seduces us. And so Mm. these patriarchal levels of authority that are put in between us and, and, and God, so to speak, is not there to suppress and abuse and, and hold us down. They're, they're layer upon layer upon layer of protection. Uh, and so what can happen? And I tell the, the heads of the household, you know, whether you're a grandfather or a father or a husband, or you're the authority or the guardian in that home, when you as the head of the household have open doors. When entities are given access into your home through your open doors, the entities, it's not a tit for tat. These entities are not always going to attack the person that let them in. Mm. They're not, they're not always going to attack the person that's the most sinful or the most unchristian in the home. They're bullies and they're weaklings. So what they do, and we see this all over the New Testament, who'd they come after? The widows, the orphans, and the disabled, right? Yeah. So when, when you as a patriarchal headship uh, person in the family uh, allows sin into the home through your neglect or your lack of knowledge or through your overt sin, the the entities that are given permission into your home are not going to attack you necessarily they're going to find the most vulnerable person in your home they're going to find the person the least likely to explain what's happening to them and a lot of times that's that's your kids a lot of times that's the children and i have talked to people who talk about their sleep paralysis experiences and they will go all the way back to two years old some even have memories of because these, these experiences are so terrifying that they get burned and seared into your, your memory. And so even when they happen at a very young age, people remember it. I've had numerous people contact me and say, I don't know how old I was, but it happened when I was still sleeping in a crib because I remember holding on to wow. the crib. So the, these things don't have some sort of, uh, you know, age of accountability rule where they're gracious and like they only come and attack you once you're you're accountable. They will come as early as they can get you. And if that door is wide open, they will walk through it.
1: Wow. You know, I think I can attest to that. My, my own experience I've shared before, but I'll briefly mention it only because uh, it relates to you just opened a whole pathway of thought for me <laughs> with <laughs> that answer and that explanation, Vicki. And that is, um, you know, my own father in my young age was not a, we didn't darken the door of a church. So he was not the spiritual head of our household in any way, shape, or form. And I'm certain uh, that was one thing. But my maternal grandparents were uh, people of faith and Mm -hmm. they very gently uh, nurtured us when they, you know, we, we lived in the same city. I was blessed to have both grandparents in my life growing up. And little Jack. Chick tracks and you know, little Crusader comic books, little subtle things all the time. So by the time I started getting to an age of comprehension of what those, rather than just wanting to read something like you know Richie Rich, or whatever, <laughs> and and uh, or Porky Pig or something, and then uh, read comics that had more words to it. Uh, I remember reading some of those tracks and I started to struggle. And about that time is when I had my own experiences of a few recurring episodes of just what you mentioned, uh, uh, awake but asleep at the same time, seeing myself in the bed, but looking as my body rose and started to float down a hallway, a dark hallway. Interestingly, my younger brother, uh, I shared with me that he had the exact same uh, uh, experience or, or mm. dream is what we thought it was at the time, yeah. And and I suspect that because I suddenly had a spiritual influence in my life that was beginning to bear fruit and lead me towards desiring to know God, that's when these attacks started. Yeah. And yes. that, You know. And so there was that opening because there wasn't a mantle of protection with my own father or parents. And uh, I, I didn't live with my grandparents, but they were shining the light of truth. And I suspect that he was trying to prevent me from coming to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of Christ.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, before I forget and utterly abandon what was a vital question: How come Christians can get bugged by this? How come? How come they can be vulnerable? I thought, I thought this right. And so, by way of. Spiritual warfare, you know, it, it's—we're not talking full-blown exorcism, you know, where heads are spinning and pea soup is getting spit, yeah. right? But, but the fact is, we know from Ephesians six twelve and elsewhere, we are extremely vulnerable as Christians for demonic attack. They're after us. Like right. we, we're the battle's not against flesh and we're blood. We're war. So, yeah. Right. So this is just another tactic that they have. And so not all spiritual warfare is my car broke down and I missed my finals. Like is, is some spiritual warfare is actual spiritual warfare. And if you, in, in fact, I think that almost the more serious you become in your faith, the more prone you are to something like this, because Uh, they have to get you when you're weak and when you're vulnerable. So if they come to you during the day and they can't tempt you, uh, they're going to come to you at night when you're discombobulated, you're disoriented, you're half asleep. You don't think there's any consequence to what you're doing because it's just a dream. And we know that these things play dirty. We know that they are willing to trick us and dupe us into things. And it's very easy to trick people into doing things in their dreams because they wake up and think that has no bearing on reality there that i i wasn't actually engaging in that activity in the dream i wasn't really participating in necromancy mm-hmm. i wasn't really talking to my dead grandmother and asking her questions about my future i wasn't really participating in in some sort of sexual encounter with that beautiful woman it was just a dream and so uh humans go on in this ignorant state of mind thinking that there's no attachment whatsoever to that dream world and and the reality, and so there's no accountability for it, there's no repercussions for it, and yet the the invitations that we would never give these things in our waking hours, we often give up to them in in the wake in the in the sleeping hours because we don't think that there's any reality uh, to those situations. Mm. Uh, but a lot of times, people are never able to connect the dots as to what why certain things are happening in their waking life because they don't make the connection that the fruit was eaten in in the dream and i'm not even talking about the drug sex rock and roll stuff that everybody goes to in their mind i'm talking about like things like uh i've talked to many people and i even had this struggle myself there's a disconnect between our faith and our our love of Christ and our love of the word and our our emotions, for example. So I used to always struggle with I'm a Christian. I go to church. I am I am not an immoral person. I'm not promiscuous. I'm not messing with anything, addictive substances. I don't have these secret things going on. I I'm memorizing the word. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm I'm not doing all these works because I think I'm going to get saved. I'm doing all of these things that is supposed to be the formula for having deep, welling-over affections for God. Yeah. So where are my deep, overwhelming affections? Uh, I'm following the formula, what's going on? And it took me decades to figure out, because they're so crafty, that the things that were happening In these sleep paralysis experiences, these dreams that were accompanying them uh, and these astral experiences that I thought were just terrifying nightmares, there were contractual things like that apple in the Garden of Eden. There were contractual things going on. There, there were ceremonies going on in these dreams. Uh, it, it's not all just monsters saying boo and people waking up and saying they're scared. There's
1: a method to their madness.
0: There, there's a method. And so I hope I'm not losing people. But what, what I'm telling you is there are entire aspects of this sleep paralysis scenario that happen while we are in deep theta wave sleep. And they're, they start out as nightmares and we think it's just the dream and we wake up from these bad dreams and then the sleep paralysis experience starts, but that's just the tail end of the sleep paralysis experience. And a lot of times these dreams that we, we don't even really remember, there are, there are covenants being made in, in these dreams. And we might not even remember them. We might poo poo them as, Hey man, it was just a dream. But these entities understand the legalities. They understand mm. you, you gave me permission. I didn't know I was giving you permission. I don't care. You gave me permission. You opened this door. I uh, I asked to be invited in. And for for people that think this sounds really far-fetched or not fair, uh, and, and I hope this won't be controversial to people who are familiar with the scriptures, this What I'm describing now with with covenants and invitations, this isn't just Bram Stoker stuff. This isn't just vampire stuff. This Mm -hmm. isn't just shadow people and sleep paralysis. This isn't a rule of the ghoul. This is the rule of the spiritual realm, period. Uh, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door and lets me in. I will step my foot over the threshold and come into your home and covenant with you, right? And so even Jesus Christ has this is where people can get triggered. Jesus Christ bound himself to the rules that he made. There are That's there true. are there is a chasm between the spirit realm and the terrestrial realm, the astral plane and the terrestrial plane. There's a chasm which is why when the watchers and the angels left their first estate, it was considered rebellion. They they went into the terrestrial realm without those invitations. Right. And they broke the spiritual realm rule of invitation. And even Jesus Christ, who models that rule for all of his creation, politely like a gentleman knocks on the door. And if you say go away, he goes away. Now the great thing about Jesus is He'll come back over and over and over and over again yeah. <laughs> for you. But but we know that these entities, they they don't politely knock at the door. They they bang at it. They trick you. They dupe you. They are uh, Little Red Riding Hood's wolf dressed up like Grandma. Right? They're they're deceptive. They dress up like. Um, you're not going to let a demon in, but you're going to let your dearly departed grandmother who you miss because you just buried her a week ago. And, you know, you're going to be more susceptible right. if there's a, if there's a disguise. And so uh, we also know from uh, John chapter, is it is it 10, that these things, if you don't let them in through the front gate, they burrow a hole through the back gate. They come in by another way because they're thieves and they're robbers and they're liars. Right.
1: The sheep followed, Yeah.
2: Hi, if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider being a full-time subscriber. We are going to use these funds to expand the message and get the word out about what's in the Bible that the world doesn't want you to know about.
1: That's right, John. We appreciate you listening, but we'd love it if you'd subscribe. That way we can reach more people with the time we have left. So enjoy the rest of the podcast, but think about subscribing if the Lord puts it on your heart.
2: To subscribe, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com.
1: Thanks. Yeah, that's that's a fascinating um, um, uh, metaphor for that. Um, but you're right. The Lord, uh, he is bound by his word. He always honors his word. So if he otherwise that's the, the age old question of why didn't he just appear and save us? You know, it, we'd all believe if we saw him. Well, he wants people to accept him by faith. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, he he, the Spirit draws us, but we have to receive the gift. We have to accept it. Uh, would you say you you were talking about these contracts and covenants? Um, is is it possible? Because I know in the scriptures we read, like in uh, where the sins of the father are visited upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate him and so it's possible that a child could be the victim of a covenant made by an ancestor is it not and that that could carry down until they break the covenant somehow would that be true
0: yeah this was another one of the things that i was saying gets a little controversial when you start talking about how can a child or how can a christian uh get reeled into this if they're really saved they should be protected from all of this and this is where it gets kind of sketchy for some people but there are uh, there are groups, there are secret societies, there are generational Satanists, occult groups, covens, mm. uh, Freemasonic uh, type things where when someone is initiated into those groups, they don't just initiate and make those pledges for themselves. They pledge their entire bloodline. Mm. So you could have a yeah. grandfather or a great grandfather and vaguely know because, you know, you've got his mason ring, you know, that yeah. got, you see, you might know. But what if you don't know? What if seven generations removed you had some grandpa from Scotland and you don't even know you're Scottish and he was a 32nd degree Scottish right Freemason, you'd never know.
1: You're right, that's right.
0: And I don't want that to be intimidating to Christians, like, well, if I'll never know, because what the enemy loves to do with that is he loves then to bind people up in fear where Every single thing in the world then could potentially be that open door. And then you've got the Christians and I'm not, I'm not mocking, but you've got the Christians that are throwing away everything in their house and all the stuff that they bought overseas and every gift that's ever been given to them. Cause it could be a charged object from a witch. And, and they're, 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 they're not operating any longer than in um, a spirit of, victory and warfare they're operating in a spirit of fear like everything now in their home is a potential uh open door and threat and so i, yeah. I go through this in in one of the appendices in my book and i call it prayer mapping it's i got that from russ Dizdar. you can call it whatever you want but <clears throat> where you cut to the chase and you you go you get alone with the father you get all your phones and your distractions and everything out out of the way you get a journal, you get a pen and paper, you get a Bible, and you pray and you ask the father one question. What is the source of my sleep paralysis? Yeah. <clears throat> and there might be more than one source. I know in my case, I think there was four or five. There might be more than one source. but he, So in other words, the father might tell you more than one thing, but you're only asking that one question. It, it doesn't have to be complicated where you, you know, get some 20 page long prayer and you're praying over every single nefarious thing you can possibly think of until you're exhausted with <laughs> it. <laughs> and I've been there, but uh you you just pray and say what is the source and then you just start brainstorming on a piece of paper and it's going to start out with all the obvious things like all of the stuff you know, oh, I got drunk in high school and you know, I stole a chapstick from a Walmart when I was 10. Like, you know, you do all this, all the stuff you can think of. But as you're praying, the spirit will bring to mind things. And a lot of times things might come to mind that are obscure. Or things that you might think, well what what possible what would that have to do with it? Um it can be something like invisible friends you had as a child, innocent, but well what were those what were what was hmm. the nature of those invisible friends? What did yeah. they have? Did they have names? Where did you get those names from? Did they give you the name? What sort of conversations and um, play activity were you doing with these invisible friends? What what sort of things were they teaching you? So it can be something just innocuous, uh, but if you pray through those things, if if you then you pray through your list out loud, if something on that list is is one of the sources, the Father will make it known. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he, he, it is not his will that we be left in darkness or left tricked, especially if we're pursuing truth. Yeah. And so for some people, it's going to take a lot more work. Some people I've worked with, one and done, they write me back, oh my gosh, I did it and it was great. And it's been six months now and nothing's happened. And some people are like, it didn't work. It didn't work. And it, they have to dig deeper and deeper. And one of the things, kind of like the final kind of you know, rabbit in the hat that I give to to believers. If you genuinely love the Lord and you know there's nothing between, and you you know, despite we all have flesh that we have to contend with, we're all sinners. But sure. if you know, I have brought everything before the Lord. I've confessed all these sins. I've gotten rid of everything. I'm working to kill this particular sin in my life. I, I've done. I, I'm out of ideas there there's one possible explanation left remaining. And I always tell people exhaust all the other ones first, because everybody wants to be the one job in the sea of Peters, right? Everyone Mm. wants to be the one where I'm being persecuted for my righteousness. We all want to be that one guy. Right. But if we are living in a time as we're drawing closer and closer and closer to the end and I don't know if the end is a year away or a thousand years away, but any way you slice it, we're one day closer to it than we were yesterday. I mean, we're moving right. forward. So if we are in this end time generation or even if we're in the generation before, we, us and our children, we're being trained for a battle of proportions we've never seen on planet earth before it's a spiritual war. That's going to go from the invisible to the visible. Right. And so, so there has to be training and it has to go beyond just a spiritual warfare workshop once every couple of years at your church or, okay, well, we're, we're expositorily preaching through Ephesians. So we, we got to do the sermon on Ephesians 6, 12. we right. we, And so what I think is happening in some cases is that these people that are experiencing sleep paralysis for the course of decades, and it's intensifying and it's not going away, what you will find is those people go through a cycle. They start out defeated and and exhausted. And we know from Daniel that he will wear out the saints, and this is a great tactic for wearing out saints when you Mm -hmm. can't sleep at night. But there's a point then where they're like, I'm sick of this and then they start to wield their sword offensively rather than defensively they learn that the name of jesus will cause these things to flee but there's a difference between jesus help me jesus help me jesus help me jesus help me, jesus help me and in the name of jesus get out yeah there's a difference there and so authority authority so what what happened to me here here's the The upshot and the downshot to my 47 years of this, the downshot is it's exhausting. It can be spiritually confusing. Uh, The enemy can get in there and confuse you as to the veracity of your own faith. You can wonder why you're being attacked. You can wonder what you're doing wrong. You can be scared to go to bed at night. You become a night owl and it affects your physical health. There's all sorts of things about it. But if you continue to walk with the Lord and you continue to pursue truth, what What happens over the course of decades is, whether you realize it or not, you have had first-hand spiritual warfare training. Yeah. You have been encountering actual demonic entities, and you've been learning your authority in Jesus. You have been learning how to go from terrorized to fearless. You've been learning courage. You've been learning how to put on your armor. You've been learning how to memorize and wield the scriptures and the Word of God, and No one who goes through, no believer who goes through this type of warfare for any number of years is not going to come out of the crucible with with the metal tested and prepared. Because what is going to happen? My people perish for lack of knowledge. And then an end times army shows up on earth and we're all terrified and don't know what to do. He he's preparing us. So even in this, what the enemy means for evil, God intends for good, he is raising up his army. And this is one of the ways that people get enlisted in the boot camp.
1: You know, that's a fascinating perspective, Vicky. And and I, I do want to comment that I I do believe we are approaching the last days if we're not in them. Uh and, and if I'm wrong, it just means I'm wrong. The Bible's right, you know. <laughs> yeah. If if my timing's wrong, but I would say that um given that there's going to be uh, some amazing things happening on this earth during the time of Jacob's trouble. And depending on where people want to stand about the rapture and the tribulation, and and I, I take the position that we're going to go out before the wrath falls, but that doesn't mean there's still not a battle to engage in spiritually that is going to intensify even before we're taken out. So uh, if if that be the case. So I say that that's a fascinating perspective that maybe we are being prepared to help in these last few hours of reaching people uh, with the gospel when demonic entities are manifesting themselves as aliens or whatever deception they're going to use. Yep. And, and perhaps that ties into it. Um, That's a fascinating, in fact, that, That reminds me that in the book, you suggest that we're going to hear more and more discussion about sleep paralysis as UFOs and aliens and paranormal things, um, activity become more mainstream. And we're seeing that in media everywhere now, becoming more mainstream. Mm. Do you believe that is a part of the deception that's designed to lead people astray?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Here is the double-edged sword of exposure, you know, exposing the deeds of the devil, We've been doing that now since the advent of the internet. And even though there's a lot of censorship now, now we're hearing about things that we never knew about before. And we're hearing about all of this pedophilia and adrenochrome and sex trafficking and abortion. And it's terrible. But when we first heard about some of this stuff 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and it mortified us and we saw the pictures of, of the aborted babies and things we were mortified, but now 10, 20, 30, 40 years of seeing those pictures every day. The more we hear, the more we expose the deeds of the devil, the more everyone becomes desensitized. And we're to the point now where you can talk about drinking blood and murdering people and all this horrible stuff that goes on underground and everything, you know, the, the satanic holidays and their rituals. And it's, on one hand, it's exposing these things. On the other hand, it gets to the point where, you know, the 50th time you've heard it, you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Oh, it's almost
1: normalizing it, almost. It,
0: it. It does. It normalizes it. And so here is sort of the, 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 the victory and then the immediate need to innovate and come up with a new battle plan. I I've been waiting my entire life to figure out this sleep paralysis thing, find other people that are going through it, set captives free, uh, expose the deeds of the devil. And, you know, I write this book and people are coming out of the woodwork and it is so encouraging. And we're, we're exchanging notes and we're, we're ripping the masks off of these things. But on the other hand, You've got all of, you know, the the David Ikes out there talking about the reptilians and the spaceships yeah. and the Anunnaki and the progenitors of, and the Pleiades, Jesus, and all, all the ascension doctrine and the ascended masters. And so all it's really, in essence, doing in the long run is getting us to the point where when these things come to Earth and they do their little warrior progenitors or whatever, no one is going uh, to, do you remember War of the Worlds, you know, when yeah. the little aliens came down and people were like jumping off of buildings and everything. And now what, what's what's happened, you know, 50, 60, 75 years later, now the Anunnaki will come down in their red tights and their cape and mm-hmm. everyone's going to be like, cool. Oh, Yeah because yeah, very receptive yep so DC and Marvel are doing a great job of making the the fallen angels and the watchers and the nephilim and the demons look like our friends look powerful yeah. look look great look cool so when these things do show up we're not going to be terrified we uh many people are going to think that uh peace on earth man they've come to save us and they oh, yeah. they're gonna fall for it
1: You know, there's even Christians falling for this. Um, You mentioned David Ikes and and there's a, I I can't remember the first name, but Greer, uh, is it David Greer? Hmm. Or there's there's another person that's kind of like him. He's basically saying, yeah, the UFOs are real and they are our uh, ancestors. They did seed us. They are ascended masters. We need them, you know, and he teaches these classes on how to reach into the light. And uh, is it Greer, is that the name I'm thinking of? G-R-E-E-R.
0: <clears throat> I, I think I'm thinking of a different David. He's mm. really big in the Gaia.com movement. Well,
1: David. that sounds like this person could be. I think he's a doctor, if okay. I'm not mistaken. But he's very much uh, aligning what looks to be a very light, uh, attractive, spiritual sort of journey that I think even Christians are going, wow, that looks like it's the way to go. And many New Age uh, and occult practices are are creeping in to the the church. Do you believe that Christians today are confusing? uh, You said so rather that Christians today are confusing true spiritual encounters with God and spiritual encounters with demonic entities posing as beings of light. Where is this lack of discernment coming from?
0: Oh, my people perish for lack of knowledge to give you the the easy answer. Uh, You know, it's one thing if you go to church once a week, you listen to a sermon, but that is different than digging into the scriptures, yeah. studying the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, uh, and, and studying it on our own. And even John warned us, you know, John the Revelator, The, the la- we always think that Revelation was the last book written because it's the last one in the book, but actually first, second, and third, John were the last books written because mm-hmm. John was the, the young guy. And those were the letters that he wrote to the church before he passed. And the just think of this: he had one more opportunity to share what was on his heart before he left this planet. Yeah. And he has the entire experience on Patmos in the back of his mind. He can he can write whatever he wants in those letters. And what does he write about? Here's how to find the false messiahs in the church. Yeah, that was the message he wanted to leave with people before. You know, that was his... Microphone.
1: Trying the spirits, whether yes. they be of God.
0: Right. And what I find is a lot of Christians, because of the last 50 years of experiential Christianity, where everything has to feel, it has to feel yeah. good and it has to be exciting, and there has to be jumbotrons and fog machines. And, <laughs> and so uh, real Christianity, all you have to do is find a hymnal or a devotional written... 75 to hundred years ago and see how Christians talked and how they encouraged one another and the kind of things that they thought about and the way they viewed the world. And you find that a lot of the Christian writers that were writing back in the day, like you read like the Spurgeon's morning and evening, or you read Elizabeth Kalman's uh, streams in the desert. These people were talking about suffering, finishing well, uh, Temptation, killing, mortifying the flesh—like this—is the kind of way our our forefathers talked. Yeah. And so, when you've got a generation of believers where everything is about feeling good, and um, you know these experiences, and mm. uh, the ev- the evidence of, of God has to be some sort of after I pray, I want to see a rainbow in the sky, or I want to see a cardinal fly into my, you know, oh, tree, yeah. or, you know, and here, here's the sad thing about that. Sometimes God will do that, especially for believers when they're in a position of weakness or, or dire need or grief, or there may be a new believer. And so they're, they haven't gotten their sea legs yet, but what's sad is the devil will always give you those signs and wonders. That's he, true. He, he will always do it. And so what, what is alarming to me is the number of Christians that have these astral experiences and they wake up and they immediately have an interpretation of what it all means. And it's always something good. It's some great promise. There's no testing of that spirit to see whether it's from God. Like there's no, uh, you know, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So if you encountered an angel of light and you were filled with feelings of goodness, that isn't enough alone to determine whether it was a good or a bad angel. The the people in the Bible that experienced angels were terrified, the good ones, you know? And so I don't see a lot of, a, of the testing of the spirits. And I also see an ignorance of the scriptures. And I think, you know, another question that you were going to ask that I could just nicely fold into this discussion is if you don't understand that the heaven that Paul glimpsed and the heaven that John the Revelator glimpsed and the bit of the throne that Elijah glimpsed, it, 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 the, the bit of the throne room that Moses glimpsed. If you don't understand that that was a different plane than the Ephesians six twelve high places where all the archons and rulers and authorities and ascended masters and spirit guides are crawling around, you're going to think astral projection is biblical, which is why so much of this new yeah. stuff has crept into the church. Right. And, <clears throat> and a lot of people will, um, these, these entities are very clever. If they abduct a born again, Christian into the astral realm during a sleep paralysis experience, they are going to mimic a biblical experience because they're smart. Yeah. They want you to be duped. And so, uh, we have to understand that the high places, the epurhenios in Ephesians 6.12, that is describing the astral realm. That's describing the bastardized throne room of of the false gods. And we also have to recognize that the, the individuals in the Bible who saw the throne room of God were taken up. They weren't reading books and meditating and, yeah. you know, uh taking ayahuasca and they weren't on a mission to, to get into the throne room. The, the people in the scripture that were on a mission to get into the throne room, like Nimrod's buddies, they wanted to get into the, into the throne room for a much different purpose. And so if God wants to bring a believer into his presence, he can do it. Yeah. But that is much different than going to bed at night, doing deep breathing Eastern meditation and willing yourself out of your body. Uh, that, that's not how we get into the presence of God.
1: Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to hear the rest of our exciting interview with Vicki Joy Anderson, please consider becoming a Bible Mysteries premium podcast subscriber. Our premium members get the full interviews of our guests in addition to other bonus content. Won't you become a premium subscriber today? You can find out how to do so at BibleMysteriesPodcast.com.